0: We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the
1: podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
0: to another episode of Archaeo Animals. As always, I'm Alexis Patrick, and with me...
2: Simona Falanga.
0: And today is... I'm, I'm going to say it. Today, I believe, is a extremely Simona-centric episode. <laughs> this, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this seems to be something you want to talk about. It's something that I don't necessarily know anything about. Judging on the notes, <laughs> you you have a lot to talk about from... Not personal experience, but, you know... You know, it's, it's, it's connected to
2: you. I think it's just one of those things, because we've covered all of, sort of the main domesticates and, and livestock species that we use. Um, but I feel that this episode will be something particularly nice because we're sort of moving on to species that are not necessarily used. Well, we're not necessarily used in Britain or not as much anyway. So we'll get to cover sort of the archaeologies and histories of places that aren't Britain for a change even though I do fear change, so fret not. There will be some Roman Britain in there because reasons.
0: See, and this is why I say it's a Simona centric episode, because to be, as someone who works primarily in like later prehistoric Britain, I have absolutely nothing to add to this conversation from like my own research. This is going to be all Simona all the time. Uh, if you can't tell what we're talking about, it's probably because I didn't say what it was and it's donkeys and camels we we're talking about some more domesticated animals that we wouldn't necessarily see in britain desert pack animals and i'm very excited because again this is something that i don't necessarily know much about uh i know a lot about donkeys and camels today because they're both very cute animals so this will be really interesting do you want to take it away simona
2: i guess i guess i, I should so i think the first part we're gonna be focusing about donkeys, which is something like you don't really tend to see donkeys in this country like even today, do you? Well, actually,
0: um, near where I live, uh, we have a donkey sanctuary. And I do also want to point out, and I've, I've just added this photo to the show notes, my parents live in North Carolina, and they live next to a donkey farm. So very, I'm very familiar with donkeys as a modern concept right now. They're very cute. I, I posted uh, on the show notes a very good picture of a donkey with their head on top of a goat. So definitely check that out. That's basically as
2: much of a experience I have with donkeys. Well, it is an excellent donkey right next to an excellent goat. Um, <laughs> look, the thing with uh, well, donkeys is something that I'm used to myself. As in, I'm originally from Sicily and donkeys do tend or used to be anyway, not as much today, but they did tend to be a staple domesticate, and more on that later. But it's, I guess, speaking about Britain, you don't really tend to see them as much today. And the same is true for the past, because donkeys as a species are adapted to very rocky and dry conditions. So they don't really do as well in wetter climates, which is probably why you don't tend to find them historically in the UK as well. Although, I guess it's one of those things because identified specimens of donkeys are rare in the British archaeological record, but that may not necessarily be because there weren't many donkeys on the islands. It may very well be a case that a lot of them were perhaps misidentified. I mean, if you're going through an archaeological assemblage and you find like an equid-looking bone, is is donkey going to spring to mind? Yeah, definitely
0: not. I mean, I actually, when we... Decided originally to do this episode. I had to look look up what donkey bones looked like because I, that that was like the first thing I thought of. Was like I don't think I'd ever be able to differentiate between a donkey a donkey bones and like horse bones, especially as someone who doesn't necessarily deals with, with a lot of horse bones uh, at the sites that I work on. So that's already a bit of a, a blind spot for me. But yeah, no, the donkeys are probably. Not probably more prevalent in uh, British sites, but they could be just because, yeah, um, they could easily just slip through the cracks. Kind of like how we have the problem with like fish and bird bones where they're just so tiny and fragile that, you know, they can end up not being in a lot of uh, zooarchaeological assemblages. Well, that's the
2: thing, because it's not necessarily something that you look out for. And the thing, I mean, spoiler alert, the difference between a, a donkey and a horse bone can, for the most part, be distinguished using biometry. So unless you take a bunch of measurements, you're not necessarily going to find out. And it's something you probably wouldn't be looking into in the first place. Because, again, as I said, donkey is not exactly something that springs to mind if you're looking at a British Iron Age site. But that is not to say that there may not have been more donkeys in the country, historically, actually, one thing I was going to mention: so the biometric the set of biometry measurements to differentiate between horse and donkeys. If you're, if that takes your fancy and you want to learn more about that, I think the method has been developed by Johnstone, and he's they've been using modern samples to do that. But yes, and another one that doesn't necessarily spring to mind are mules, because it's something that would have probably been used uh, in various parts of the world, historically and present day, but that won't necessarily translate in the archaeological record because their remains look so much like horse bones. Actually, um, an interesting fact for those who are not aware, a mule, as many know, is a mix, uh, is the hybrid between a donkey and a horse. But now it is called mule specifically when the male is a donkey and the female is a horse. So the other way around, where you have a female donkey and a male horse is called a hinny, And it was actually the hybrid that was um, most frequently bred by the Romans because they tended to be larger and more vigorous. So yeah, so Romans would go for hinnies as opposed to mule. And, and that that's my bit of pointless information for the episode. It's not pointless
0: because I was literally just about to ask I what the difference between a mule and a, a donkey was. Because honestly, you know, I I, I know we, we work with animal bones and stuff, but I definitely don't know, well, anything, really. I think that's like the prevailing message in this podcast is I really don't know much at all. But <laughs> I definitely didn't know that. But uh, kind of bringing this back to the beginning, as we like to start with a lot of these episodes, uh Domestication. Donkeys are a part of the uh, many species that have uh, been domesticated eventually by humans. Uh, so, donkeys have been working alongside humans for approximately 8,000 years, uh, and they were probably domesticated from the. Uh, can, can we say this? I mean, it's it's the scientific name. It's from the the African donkey, which is known as the Equus africanus, wild ass the wild ass it's fine apologies to any children who are listening I'm so sorry we'll put the explicit tag on this one for that Um, but yeah so they were probably domesticated from the wild ass uh, in North Africa Um, and because you know they're from uh, around that area they were mostly used as pack animals in places like ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia Greece uh, and Rome Uh, the idea of pack animals is going to be the basic theme for this episode (laughs)
2: Yeah, and the thing like donkeys are one of the species that truly sort of kick-started long-distance trade in countries where a, a lot of the, the terrain is very rough. Because, of course, a lot of people sometimes will travel with their cattle as beasts of burden, but, of course, the cattle is going to require a lot more subsidence. Uh It's going to be slower and probably not as vigorous on rough terrain as a donkey would be. But unfortunately, donkeys do get a lot of stick um, in terms of, like, so the the term itself being used pejoratively uh, across history and in a variety of cultures all the way to present day. Because if you think about it today, like, uh, donkey is associated with some something or someone that is so. Without beating around the bush, stupid. And it was to an extent sort of the same in the past because you find similar references in Shakespeare's writings. I think Alex was we going to mention something about the Greeks.
0: Yeah, so the Greeks kind of differentiated uh, between a noble horse and a servile donkey, and it's just this um, really interesting kind of um, archetype that's been going on across cultures across time with donkeys. You know, they're they're seen as you know the the pack animal, the the servile animal and then horses on the other hand um, especially looking at uh, other cultures like in uh later prehistory and stuff like that you know the horse was this beautiful uh, warrior uh, high status thing and then the donkey just kind of carried stuff in the back and that's actually i wonder what the actual origins of that are because at the end of the day, donkeys are extremely helpful, and you would think that some uh, an animal that is so helpful in getting things from here to there would have more of a you know a, a, a better persona or something, which is it's unfair because donkeys are really cute and uh, I like them.
2: It's it's it's, it's incredibly unfair because donkeys are are unbelievably cute and they have been very helpful to humanity for thousands and thousands of years. And that's what they get in return, that they use their very name to insult other humans. Give donkeys some more love.
0: And uh, if any listeners out there has a donkey farm, please send us uh, photos, videos, name a donkey after me if you want. I feel like that's probably apt for a lot of reasons. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it, it's a kind of a shame uh, that donkeys have this kind of vibe attached to them. I'm really bad with words today. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the other things I was going to bring up is pack animals. In terms of donkeys, Simona, do you think that osteologically you would have those kind of beast of burden type uh, characteristics on the bone? And do you think that there's some kind of characteristics related to that that might be able to help differentiate between a horse and a donkey? I, like we, you just said before, there's obviously biometrics Uh, measurements to uh, distinguish between the two but I wonder if there's a way to kind of you know look at the certain wear and tear on the bones to figure out you know oh this one's like mostly being used probably to carry things long distances rather than being ridden or anything.
2: Well I guess in a way you're probably more likely to find this sort of pathological lesions in a donkey as opposed to a horse because horses sort of historically tended to not be used as as beasts of burden as much because, quite frankly, they're quite expensive to keep and usually a symbol of high status. Well, um, so things like, I guess, like spavin, so like chronic chronic inflammation or sort of the toe bones that you do see in cattle when used for traction, I guess you could be able to find something quite similar in donkeys because they were used to carry heavy loads. And by some cultures, they were used also to turn quern stones for grinding grain. So like the donkey will be tied to the quern stone and sort of like just move that around in a circular motion and and grind the grain for them.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I actually don't know why I didn't think about that either because I've just been playing so many hours of Skyrim where they have like little animals uh, turn the stones around. Uh, but that's not a hero there. Basically, I think the most important thing to take away from this uh section of the podcast is that one donkeys should be more respected two uh donkeys are a bit of a weird kind of almost a liminal thing in zooarchaeology because they could be more prevalent in the zooarchaeological record we don't really know you'd have to like go back and really re-examine a lot of the uh horse uh, remains that we have because (laughs) Yeah, no one's going to do that. Uh, no, no one is going to do that. Although I will
2: do that if you pay me to. And I mean, and, and also another thing, so of course, a, a lot uh, might have been misidentified and uh, despite it not being, uh, on top of it not being something you really look out for, like it, you find this equid bone from an Iron Age context, I think, oh, I wonder if it's donkey or perhaps a hinny. But of course, usually you would think that size would be a good giveaway, horses being much larger than donkeys. But then again, if you look at the horse, as we've discussed in a horse episode, horses did used to be a lot smaller. So when you find a smallish, equid-sized bone, again, donkey doesn't spring to mind because horses sort of up to the Roman period were quite small after they were domesticated. And this sort sort of started getting bigger again later. So it is what it is. (laughs) <laughs> it is what it
0: is um, yeah no <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's really going to double check their horse remains although now I kind of like want to check the horse remains that uh, I have because it would be that would just be great to find out that all of a sudden uh, the caves I'm working in just had a bunch of donkeys that would um, that would
2: tickle me to be honest that's right that's Alex abandoning her PhD and then her sole obsession Becomes like scouting through all of the archives of Great Britain and just reconstruct the lives of the British donkeys.
0: They're going to forcibly remove me from the university while I scream out loud, you know, the donkeys were everywhere. They were everywhere. Horses don't exist. They were all donkeys. Actually, that's going to be my postdoc. It's going to be, it's going to be, there are no horses, only donkeys. And I'm going to go look at every single horse uh, find in zooarchaeology and prove that they were actually donkeys. You heard it here folks uh, first folks do it yeah. yeah do it do it i have nothing better to do clearly <laughs> but with that i think we should take a break and then we can come back with our second pack animal of the episode which also should be really interesting
2: let's
3: off your first three months or go to ZENCASTR.com and use the code ANIMALS.
1: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5-H-E-TRAVEL at 5-HourEnergy.com. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast. That's indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
0: So um, we are back and we are talking about desert pack animals and today on the episode and now we're going to start talking about camels and the first thing I want to talk about is that when we decided to do this episode I went to go on google and do some research on camels and the first thing that came up on google was do camels hold grudges which apparently is this thing that people think (laughs) Apparently, I, I couldn't find, I haven't seen any actual, like, papers on it. A lot of just, like, top ten animals that held grudges against humans. Uh, and, uh, apparently, uh, camels have very good memories and can hold grudges against people who harm them. Which sounds great and also sounds like me after I've been broken up with. So uh, So do ravens. Ravens can yeah. really hold a grudge. Yeah, I believe they're, like, number like two on the list or something. What's number <laughs> yeah, one? So, I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I have to go back and look it up. So, anyway, let's talk about camels and uh, what they do and what they are. First of all, let's point out that, because uh, this is actually a question I've gotten before, camels uh, don't have the hump in their bones. Like, the bones don't, like, make the humps just so that you guys all know that to start off with.
2: so We have um, only two species of camel. We have the dromedary, which is the one with only one hump, and they're normally found in North Africa and the Middle East. And then the bactrian, which has two humps and is native to Central Asia and the Far East. And for those of you who are not aware of this by now, camels are remarkable pack animals because they can survive for very long periods of time without water. So their humps work as a reservoir for fatty tissue and water and the long legs insulate them uh, insulate... I can speak English, me. Insulates them from the heat of um, the ground. (laughs) The hot desert sands. As far as we're aware, camels were tamed between 3,000 and 2,500 BCE. Likely, this was initially for their milk. And it was only later that um, uh, populations have realized that, like, oh, this would make a great beast of burden too. Let's try that. And unsurprisingly, uh, it worked remarkably well and camels are still used to these days to carry people and goods. And it is also believed that this uh, shift... Sort of from camels being exploited for their milk to being used as beasts of burden, either was uh, a fact, so a consequence, or a cause in the shift of um, sort of like economy from sort of hunter gatherer to uh, a herding economy, and well, camels sort of being tamed and used as beasts of burden has also uh, brought over some technological changes in terms of saddles.
0: Yeah, so um, the, the saddles uh, that are used on camels, they differ depending on what you're using the camels for. So you have the North Arabian saddle, and that's primarily used for military needs. And then you have the Saharan saddle, which is used for more long distance riding. And there is a North Arabian pack saddle, and it was probably the first that was initially developed. And it's funny because, like, I feel like you don't really think about the saddle, especially talking about the zoo archaeological side of things. You would definitely need a saddle to ride a camel. I don't know, uh, Simona, if you've ever ridden a camel before, but I have. And they're not the most comfortable <laughs> animal to sit on. Uh, so yeah, I totally understand why you might need a couple of different types of saddles, depending on how long you're going to be on there.
2: Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Like, I've never ridden a camel before, nor really any other animal. I think I was uh, placed on a pony when I was very young and a photograph of me was taken but I think that was about it with my experience of being placed on animals that were much larger than me.
0: I mean that's fair like not to brag but I've also been on an elephant so you know living a high life literally in some cases because elephants are very big. Wow. Yeah be jealous um it, it's, it's not that exciting. It's what you get when you go to a, a Renaissance fair in New York. Let me tell you. Ah, yeah. You know, very exciting anyway. Uh, <laughs> so like donkeys, camels are pack animals. They're used for riding across usually places like the desert and stuff like that. Um, as Simona said, um, based on the way that they're, that they're made, I guess um, they're perfect. Or you know, long periods in the desert, they can survive without water for a very long period of time, they can deal with the heat, uh, well, and I think the most popular kind of image people have of camels, at least historically, is uh, caravans of camels, like along the Silk Road. Uh, Bactrian camels were actually bred specifically for the Silk Road because they're accustomed to colder climates. And of course, Silk Road would be going towards more colder climates, which is actually really interesting and uh, extremely cool. And just to break up the camel talk, uh, I can update you on the (laughs) top 10 times animals have held grudges against humans and took revenge. So I was wrong. This is about not... Animals in general, but very specific animals. So, crows are number six, and it's a story about crows that attacked a researcher (laughs) that captured them previously. And then, number five is a camel story, who apparently a camel bit its owner's head off, which I mean, I don't know about you guys, but camel teeth are pretty chompy, so I can understand that. And number one is a story about, I don't know why I'm laughing, those aren't. Really funny. Uh, a tiger who killed a poacher for killing its mate and cub. So that's your feel good top 10 story for the day. So, tiger was the number one. Yeah, specifically that tiger. I think there were like two tigers on that list, which kind of makes it feel a bit cheap, to be honest. Like, if you're going to do a top 10 list of like animals taking revenge, I want some more
2: diversity, you know? I want a honey badger. Yeah, uh, sure. Okay. Honey
4: badgers don't uh, take revenge because you don't survive the first time. See? No,
2: no, I guess
4: not. But wait, wait, well, what did the tiger, do? how did the tiger plan a, like, I, I don't understand how the tiger planned a, like, a a revenge attack. I don't know how the tiger plotted.
0: Yeah, it says here that the tiger's name was Kempi, the tiger killed. So no, on this rampage that's taken three movies, that's a John Wick joke for y'all out there. John Wick 3 is great. Thank you.
4: No, you, you, your voice completely roboted out. Could you just repeat that, just in case?
0: Did it earlier? Really?
4: Like really oh. badly, roboted.
0: Oh, so the the joke, because it's really good to repeat jokes, was that the tiger's name was John Wick, and the tiger's dog got killed, so the tiger went on a rampage for three movies, and then I said, uh, "John Wick three is a great movie." The end. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: You know, it would be great if we all wouldn't dump on Alex every episode. <laughs> so mean.
4: Oh no no, there's been there's been dumping on someone as well. Don't worry. No, everybody gets their everybody gets Chili. their turn. It's all fair. What well,
2: have you been dumping on me? Chili. What the- <laughs>
0: uh this is the section <laughs> of the podcast where we air our grievances
4: but uh i'm just <laughs> cr- cries
2: uh, i'm trying like a little asterisk and a meme like cries in sicilian
4: <laughs> i no, i i went on a camel ride once it was good fun that was in morocco it was quite nice uh, actually again i i feel quite unstable on horses and actually unstable on camels as well it's just like you know the, all that movement left and right left and right it just i don't know oh, how does a saddle change that i don't know do either of you like horse ride or anything any insight on that uh,
0: alex does a thing. i yeah i used to kind of um see i growing up as a american um that means i was subject to the phenomenon known as the horse girl growing up and a lot of my friends were horse, horse girls. Uh, so I rode a lot of horses when I was a kid. I was also thrown off a lot of horses as a kid uh, so I don't really horse ride as much anymore. But um, yeah, I can understand how saddles could be uh, changed slightly. I mean, it would be more, I think, on in terms of like comfort and like if you necessarily have to get off as much and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting, though, that the saddle use for camels would differ based on if you're doing just like a long distance ride or like a military use, like if you're going out, you know, for war or something. I assume they probably have other ones that we don't know about, you know, like really comfy ones that are just like pillows, maybe.
2: I guess on a back train, the saddle would go in between the two humps, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, it, it would. I, I I vaguely remember when I rode a, a camel, uh, I, I think we had a saddle, and it was like awkwardly like kind of placed with the hump. And I just remember it being very uncomfortable, but I probably was also, you know, like seven years old riding a camel in upstate New York. So I, I, it might
2: not have been the most uh, professional thing.
0: Uh, well, yeah, what's, no. What's I, with
2: all these weird animals in New York? So like, you had like an elephant at the Renaissance Fair in New York and then a camel.
4: It's almost like uh, Simona's like menagerie of animals. All these crazy combinations.
0: Simona, were you a, an active act on the Renaissance Fair uh, circuit in New York? Because maybe that's how we actually met. For the first time. Uh, But yeah, Ren Fairs are very big in America.
2: We'll have a whole episode maybe one day about uh, that. No, that's fine. I just don't understand the link between a Renaissance Fair and an elephant.
0: Yeah, um, here's the thing. Renaissance Fairs in America, we don't really um, do history, very well so like the renaissance fair i used to go to was very much robin hood but also queen elizabeth the first was there and also jack sparrow so yeah
4: sounds like the most american thing ever like just take take a distilled essential essentialist version of like history and just like pop it into like nice little forms for people to digest oh so so american
0: God bless America, truly. Let's just get that out there, folks. Uh, really? <laughs> Ooh.
4: Oh. Right. Um, yeah. Can we move on quickly? Jeez. It's too much American.
0: Well, Wow, Harsh, why would you It'd be so mean to me? Um, anyway, uh, g- getting back to camels, we're, we're, we are gonna get back to camels. Uh, but I actually have another question for Simona, uh, which is, uh, do we actually have um, biometric measurements or anything to tell the difference between uh, camel bones and horse bones? Because I think, I, I believe that there's like a slight difference, but you know, if you look at them fast, especially if you're just kind of like looking through a bunch of bones, they're still pretty similar. Although, again, I don't really work with camel bones at all.
2: I don't know why you've all got the idea that I'm an actual expert on this stuff. <laughs> Maybe the fact that I'm doing a podcast on zoo archaeology may have something to do with that. <laughs> um, I don't know, in all fairness. I think um, sort of picturing like a camel versus a horse, I would imagine that limbs to be... Quite a bit longer, sort of proportionately, compared to horse, because they're like camels do seem to have incredibly long legs. But also, like, I'm not sure about any biometry um, data that's available. I'm sure there will be somewhere uh, if a species is, is, you know, renowned, and, and chances are there'll be some biometrical measurements for it somewhere. But I think morphologically, you should be able to. Tell the difference between the two because it's like it's a different genre. You say it's a different genre that so you should they should be different enough, of course. One being an equid and the other being a, a camelid or camelid, however you pronounce it. Again, brilliant English this evening. So, yeah, I think morphologically they should be distinguishable enough, and like definitely at the cranial level, and that, that's a, a no brainer, really, in terms of like our sort of cranial bones and teeth, especially.
0: Yeah, true. Again, like I said, I don't necessarily work with uh, camels. Uh, I, I do know, yeah, the, the, the cranium uh, and a camel's a bit more elongated, uh, a bit... Uh, to be honest, I always tend to think that camel skulls look a little bit more close to, say, like a red deer than a horse. Again, that just might be my brain working weird. Uh, and I, I think the, like, some of the bones, like the vertebrae, are <laughs> pretty much bigger, uh, than horses. I mean, they are carrying probably a bigger load on the bones than a horse would. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some slight differences. Again, if you're not necessarily trained, probably not enough to be able to do it off hands, but yeah. And, um, as we'll see in the upcoming, uh, next section, they are a couple of instances of, camels uh, that may or may not have been in Britain. So it would actually be really important to differentiate between the
2: two. Yeah, and I guess that's a real quick, just to put it into, let's sort of put a camel morphology into perspective a little bit, it's closest relatives. So like other camelids that we find um, would be lammas and alpacas.
0: Oh yeah, of course. Again, two bo- two uh, animals whose bones I don't really work with. So, if if you put a box of uh, horse bones and camel bones all jumbled up in front of me, I will be a wreck. So please don't do that.
2: Sorry, we'll put some pig teeth in there as well. No, that's rude. Um,
0: and I guess to, I guess I need to recover from that. Uh, really rude thing you said to me simona Uh, and we'll take a break and we'll get back with some case studies about our pack animals
2: oh that segue
0: (laughs) i'm amazing i am the world's greatest podcaster please hire me for all your podcasting needs thank you
3: you may have heard my pitch for membership it's a great idea and really helps out however you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt sticker or something from a large selection of items from our t public store head over to arcpodnet.com shop for a link that's arcpodnet.com shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show
0: We are back with Archeo Animals. I've gotten over, uh, Simona threatening me with pig teeth. I'm okay, if anyone's wondering, I'll be fine. Uh, Just, you know, a little upset about the idea of pig teeth. Thanks a lot,
2: Simona. Very welcome. There, we've got two case studies for you this time, talking surprisingly about camels and donkeys. Our first case study is about uh, camels that, again, just as surprisingly, may or may not have been uh, found in on Romano-British sites. So this particular research that's been put forward suggests that the Romans did indeed use uh, camels to transport their goods across the northern provinces of the empire, and that would include Britain. Um, so for, for this study, so like... Uh, Camel bones from 22 archaeological sites in Northern Europe of the Roman period, including one in Britain, were analysed by two academics in Belgium, um, Fabienne Piger and Denis Enroté. My apologies if I completely butchered your names. But the researchers have found that all, so on these 22 Roman archaeological sites, uh, we found camel bones and incidentally, All of the bones, uh, so all of the sites that um, presented camel remains actually came from sort of within close proximity to Roman roads. So the interesting link here is that the Romans may have indeed used uh, camels to carry their goods uh, sort of on roads across the northern provinces, either as pack animals or sort of linked with civilian traffic or perhaps um, with military convoys. It's a pretty big study. um,
0: That has been finished, I believe. Um, And as Simona said, uh, they were probably, you know, uh, used as part of uh, the military as some sort of. Uh, mascots uh, by Roman soldiers. And it's also possible that they could have just been kept uh, by rich landowners as curiosities, which is something I'm extremely interested in as someone who uh, likes the idea of kind of the zooarchaeology of just randomness in terms of like, we didn't use this animal for food or for material. We just had this animal because hey, it looks cool, uh, which I don't think is enough uh, you know, uh, uh, consideration in zooarchaeology, but I guess that's probably because we can rarely ever tell that. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's also uh, evidence that uh, some of these camels were butchered for meat, which sounds interesting. I've never eaten camel. I
2: wonder how they taste. Well, like I said, sometimes it's uh, you'll have what's available. It's a bit like... In the past, uh, as we've discussed in previous episodes, it's not unheard of that you find butchered dog bones. And now while that may not have been specifically, you know, um, something that people would seek out, if it came to it, they'd eat dog. So it could simply be a case like maybe camels was not something that was routinely eaten or part of the diet of a particular population. But uh, at the end of the day, if you've got to eat, you've got to eat. So, if you've got a camel, probably eat the camel. And, um, but you know, I was gonna say, like, it's um interesting what you mentioned about the rich landowners possibly keeping camels as curiosity because having animals that uh clearly do not belong there, if, if that makes sense, it is something that you find quite frequently in the Roman period. It's like, well, the Romans, I think, this we've discussed in our know, native and introduced um episode. We're very keen on just uh, grabbing species from far and wide and reintroducing them, introducing them into like well, Britain in this particular case. Sometimes for a good reason; others simply just because. And I think studies have been carried out and published about sort of a species of big cats and monkeys that were somehow found in London for well reasons. And let's not forget that the uh, Romans were the same, so that brought over fallow deer from the continent because even though there were plenty of deer to hunt in Britain it wasn't quite the type of deer that they were used to hunting so they went through all the effort of grabbing animals from the Mediterranean and introducing them into Britain so that it'll be the exact same species that the gentry used to hunt back home.
0: Yeah and um, one thing I, I think really is really funny is how It's that kind of saying of the more things change, the more things stay the same. And that it's just that you're still seeing people take, uh, you know, quote unquote, exotic animals and putting them in places uh, that they shouldn't be. For example, my hometown, when I was a teenager and the guy who got arrested because he had a boa constrictor and an alligator in his house. I can't remember if that's the same guy who would menace people with chainsaws, but yeah. Yeah. So, Romans and this one guy in my hometown—clearly the same thing.
2: Well, because at the end of the day, like people are people, um, <laughs> uh, for the um, lack of a better way to put it. Because at the end of the day, sort of the human condition has remained the same across the centuries. As we all have sort of the same desires. We we all get bored, and sometimes we all just do things because we can. I'm deep like an ocean this evening.
0: <laughs> yeah, clearly. I didn't mean to get into a very philosophical kind of thing, but I, I do enjoy. I mean, it's. I think it's something that uh, a lot of people who work in archaeology enjoy is just kind of seeing stuff that humanizes. Not the right word, but I think it's the closest word I can think of right now. Um, you know, the past, and you forget sometimes. Especially, I think if you're not necessarily always looking at. Uh, past remains like archaeologists do you you can like see stuff in a museum and be like you know oh that's like a, a different planet almost like it's so long ago but like people really don't <laughs> change they're, they're interested in weird stuff like we are uh they want to keep camels because they look cool i'm sure a lot of people were like oh man that thing has two humps, we're going to keep it. So, uh, you know, it's not always about uh, what can we do with this animal that will get us sustenance or material to make other things out of. Sometimes it's literally just this thing is really cool. We're keeping it. And like, can you blame them? I would probably keep a camel if uh, Romans were walking by my house uh, using
2: them as pack animals. I mean, it's one of those things like people uh, have always been sort of the same in many aspects sort of, with their own thoughts and feelings and just uh, whimsical acts of randomness. It's a bit like you then go and find like the oldest piece of writing in human history and then you realize it's a your mum joke.
0: <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Past memes. Great memers in the past Um, but uh, I think moving on from camels we'll go to our second uh case study which I think I hate to put this all on you as my own personal beast of burden Simona but it is about Sicilian donkeys so
2: Um, yes uh, like the the podcast martyr all this pointless, uh, very uninteresting information that I just can't help but sharing. And um, this episode, I'll be telling you about uh, Sicilian donkeys, which, strictly speaking, are not really Sicilian because they do originate in North Africa, much like uh, so your standard donkey, and slowly then make their way on the Italian island of Sicily. Although they are known as Sicilian donkey or uh, as the Mediterranean miniature donkey. Of course, it's all in the name. It looks very much like a standard donkey, but it's much, much smaller. However, they're much, they mature much earlier than uh, sort of your regular donkey, so they're actually ready to work by the age of three. And now, like and that, uh, has something to do with the breed, but again, donkeys in general—they have evolved in a very harsh, dry environment with rough terrain. So they don't require as much food and care as equids of similar size. So the miniature donkey was eventually brought to Sicily where it was used, unsurprisingly, as a beast of burden, a pack animal. It would notably be bringing water back from the local wells. Uh, They would also be used for traction, especially like, again, uh, turning around uh, quernstones and millstones to make flour. Springs to mind, and of course, one of the main uses would have been to pull carts filled with uh, goods and/or people. Contrary to the horse, which at least, well, in Sicily as much as everywhere else, was mostly used sort of in the city and flat plains. But then, whenever the terrain got a little bit harsher, then donkeys or mules would be used. And somewhere where you normally would have seen a donkey, would will be carry one of the well the traditional carretto so siciliano well, it's a cart that that's all it is and of course the cart as is found in sicily pretty much everywhere around the world um is what has been first introduced by the greeks when they colonized the island up really up until when cars really took off sort of in the 60s and 70s in sicily anyway the cart was a very important uh, means of locomotion because it didn't only um, allow you to transport goods, but of course it was a sort of a historic taxi service. The thing that's really interesting or or cool about the Sicilian cart, or the Carretto Siciliano in particular, is that um, you'll have your regular sort of working type, which normally wouldn't be very decorated, but then there is a festive variety of the cart as well, where the cart um, is entirely painted in like very, very bright colours, like, like look it up. It's very very, very in your face, but very cool, I think. And it's painted normally the traditional colours. So you'll find yellow and red are very prominent, because that's the colours that you find on the Sicilian flags, but also sort of bright blues and greens, they they do make an appearance as well. But they're also they, they can have a lot of carvings or sort of painted sceneries. Um it really does depend uh but they do tend to prominently feature scenes from sicilian history and folklore as well as really intricate sort of geometrical designs and floral um designs as you may have seen if any of you are familiar with sort of sicilian maiolica ceramics sort of again which features like similar designs and very bright colors and the cart looks very similar to that so so here's a bit of um the strictly non zoo archaeology information about sicilian carts
0: yeah no actually it's funny because even though obviously i'm not i don't know if you can tell based on the accent i'm not uh,
2: to, to be to be fair you um, can't tell but having grown up sort of based on the accent so hey that that's valid but um
0: uh growing up in new york uh have i have i mentioned by the way that i'm from new york uh yeah on this podcast no, no um, where are you from I gr- <laughs> Um for growing up there where there's a lot of Italian Americans and Sicilian Americans like in my neighborhoods and stuff I didn't know about the Sicilian donkeys uh mostly because they were painted on pizzerias like all over the place <laughs> so of course they were <laughs> so my main question truly is um are they like a little mascot for Sicily? Like, can you get little C- Sicilian donkey dolls and stuff?
2: Not sure about dolls, but you do, I think, a lot of the souvenirs or sort of like a touristy sort of knickknacks uh, that donkeys are very prominently featured in there. So practically geckos as well, because geckos, I think they're seen as a lucky animal, at least, like I think, more prominently in the Aeolian Islands, sort of the small archipelago, volcanic islands sort of in the northeast. So an archipelago... The smaller island's part of a bigger island. The thing like, the gecko features prominently in there as well. But I think you, you do get donkeys a fair bit. And, well, horses, because I think, in you know, a lot of them, sort of, like, touristy souvenirs, like you do find sort of, like, little miniature carts that you can buy and take home, but they do tend to be horse-drawn as opposed to donkey-drawn. So I think that the festive ones, I think you'd use horses... Over the donkeys, just because again that's stereotype uh noble horse, which by the way, the horses will also be very brightly adorned, and uh, thankfully no, the animals don't get painted on or anything weird. it's just the the bridles um what they call the bridles, and they get sort of a, a feathery hat, and it's all very bright and colourful.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, now I'm thinking about it. There's a very, very strong connection between Italian-American things and donkeys. And learning about this has been great because now it explains why that was such a prevalent thing. But it's, it's just really funny that in terms of like cultural things that make it over to the States once people immigrate over here, that like that's the, one of the big like Images I have in my brain uh, from all those uh, immigrants uh, kind of, you know, opening up pizzerias, apparently, and stuff. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. And it's extremely cool to see kind of uh, like one of the cool things about this episode, I think, is that you're seeing we've talked about uh, loads about domestication, mostly in Britain. And it's interesting to kind of turn our perspective to other places where they are obviously still domesticating animals, but because of what the regions are like and what people need there, what the climates are like there, you, you're you're going to have to domesticate different animals to do somewhat similar things that uh, other animals are doing in other places in the world.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. The thing, no, it's been, it's been fun to uh, do the research for this episode because personally because all of my archaeological knowledge is very much Britain-based because I've done sort of like all the archaeology courses I've done where in Britain and, of course, all of my work experience in archaeology has been in Britain. That meant that I didn't really get a chance sort of to look elsewhere in the world and most importantly perhaps for myself, I've not really had a chance to look sort of at what the archaeology is like uh, back where I'm from so in a way like any excuse is a good excuse to actually go and discover more about this part of my heritage that I've not really ever had a chance to look into
0: yeah and that's honestly super awesome uh and I'm glad that having this podcast is lets you do stuff like that um <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I think that kind of does it for us. We are, uh, of course, on Twitter uh, at Archeo Animals. Uh, if you want to contact us there, uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a page also called Archeo Animals. Be sure to, you know, if you have any questions or anything, contact uh, us through there. We'd be happy to answer any questions you have please also share our episodes uh it always helps to have new listeners and uh thanks to the listeners that have been listening since day one that is wild i don't know why you would do that but we are very very thankful and uh i have a note here that says thank you to Tristan I don't know who that is but apparently he's a producer so apparently we're supposed to thank him but I don't know who that is so I won't do that and (laughs) to end the episode I'm going to do my best impression of Shrek saying donkey so donkey see you next episode guys
4: (laughs) that was awesome
0: donkey donkey donkey
4: donkey
2: Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at ArchaeoAnimals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts, and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
3: This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle, in Reno, Nevada, at the Reno Collective.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.